everybody get ready for Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. A foodie born and bred, my wife Nikki loves chatting up chefs, dining out, and insider industry buzz. And my husband David thinks a great meal is nothing but a good burger, a frosty brew, and a check for under $20. Because he is cheap. Well, maybe so, but foodie married beast anyway. And together we've got the food and wine variety show that has everyone talking. It's Foodie and the Beast, and we are on now. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. We have big news. We had a baby. Our baby is a new sponsor, actually new sponsors mm-hmm. uh, of the show. Uh, our friends at ProFish, The Point, which is a fabulous restaurant out of Buzzard Point. Uh, Tony and Joe's down on the Georgetown waterfront, Nick's Riverside Grill, and the Ivy City Smokehouse, Smokehouse, if I could speak English, mm-hmm. have all joined in to celebrate us and to sponsor the show, and we welcome them, and we're happy to have them, uh, and we're especially happy for Greg Kasten, who is the man behind the scene there. All right, so today, our drink segment is really interesting. In Spanish, el cielo means heaven, and el cielo and la cosecha in the Union Market District is pretty close to that. We've been there. We've eaten there. It's great. Their central offering is a tasting menu called The Experience, and they also have an amazing cocktail program uh, headed by lead bartender Orlando Galle... Well, I'm going to do it right. Gallegos. Did I do it? I did it. Yes. And bar manager Andres Carrasco. I love that name. That rolls right off. And I've got big news. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. It's back. DC Cocktail Week, presented by the Restaurant Association of Metropolitan Washington, is back as a week-long celebration of the area's cocktail culture. Starts on Monday the 28th. Julia, right after Thanksgiving. Right, right after, when you need a drink after spending all the time with your family. So don't eat it too much, okay? <laughs> so um, uh, where am I now? Julia Fletcher, who's the co-owner of Bow and Ivy Distillers, is in with us. And we're I guess we're going to be tasting some of your stuff, too. Look at mm-hmm. all that. Mm-mm-mm. Well, Julia's got a really cool story. I can't wait to dive into that. All right. So it would come as no surprise to anybody who follows this show that I can't cook anything. So I would never try to cook a French dessert. Uh, uh, but it's actually possible for me to do so. Uh, Alexander Kropenzano. No, it's not possible for it you is to possible. do so. This book is not meant for you. This book is meant for me. You're interrupting your husband. <laughs> and I love this book. <laughs> Let me do my thing. Okay, Alexander Kropenzano is the James Beard Award-winning writer and dessert columnist for The Wall Street Journal. Mm-hmm. She's got a new cookbook out called Gâteau, The Surprising Simplicity of French Cakes. Um, I would be surprised. And we're going to hear all about that. And um, But we don't have any French cakes to taste. That's terrible. I know. And this is going to be a fun segment, too. Chef Norbert Roche is assistant director of dining at the Seneca, a uh, an assisted living and memory care community in Rockville that is is spectacular. Right, but can I interrupt? Because I booked this segment, and I booked it for a particular reason. I think as we all age, we concern ourselves with what our life is going to be like. And I booked this segment because uh, Chef really cares about how his diners eat and that there is still the pleasure of food and not just the nourishment of food. And that's what we're going to be talking about yeah, later on Yeah, but not only that, show. he is a master of Trump lawyer, and we're going to see what he's done there, too. You can, you don't even know. Okay, I don't I'm know. I'm going to show you. Okay. But let's start with the boys from El Cielo. Guys, Orlando. We need you to come up to the mic. Andres, come on so up. So now, to- listen, we've been really fortunate. We were able to go to the restaurant, have the full tasting experience, wash our hands with chocolate, do the whole thing. But the cocktail program is pretty immense. Can you give us sort of like a headline about the restaurant and then we can start digging into the cocktail program? Um, so yeah, our, our restaurant is amazing. Um, it, 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 obviously it, it drives like, like everything derives from like Colombia. Mm-hmm. So all this inspiration from Colombia, um, just comes out. It's absolutely delicious. The gastronomy in there and the science behind everything is amazing. Well, who is the, so the lead chef is a chef from out of Colombia, right? Yes. Uh, his name is uh, Chef Sebastian Moreno. Mm-hmm. He's, uh, he's an amazing, amazing chef. Um, has just has just done amazing things behind the, behind the kitchen. Michelin star. Michelin star. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, on our first year, Michelin star. As soon as as soon as we uh, we opened, mm-hmm. well, you know, within that year. Right. And then we uh, we defended that that star this year. Pretty so, amazing. So yeah. people, you know, l- most people never get there. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and actually, our, our, I'm sorry, our sister, uh, our sister. Uh, 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 restaurant down in Miami also got their Michelin stars. So right. Very proud of them. Yes, a lot to be proud of. Yeah. So let's talk about how the cocktail program features in this Michelin starred experience. Um, yeah. So so we were so when when the when the bar was you know was was starting out to like 
get people after COVID, mm-hmm. we were like, well, what what can we do with with the bar? Like, we need to do something exceptional. So we decided to do a bar tasting menu. Mm-hmm. So we we did. We decided to do four cocktails with three appetizers and one dessert, and um, and everything was just paired together per- beautifully, perfectly, and it's honestly Instagram Instagram worthy. It's amazing. But aside from it just being pretty looking, what was it about the complexity of the flavors that you put together? Oh, it was. Um, it, they're all um, they're all like Colombian based uh, fruit juices. So it's all it's all um, like guanabana and um, or soursop or uh, uh, Lulo or or uh, or um. All right. Well, while you think on that, why don't you tell us what's in here? So this is our chimbirito. Mm-hmm. Uh, our chimba in Colombia means the most amazing thing in the world. Okay. <laughs> we love that. <laughs> Ito in all of Latin it's America small. means. Small. That's how I got through four years of Spanish. There you go. Ito you got on it. the end of everything. High school Spanish, of there course. Is, baby. You know, okay. This is so works. yummy. What so, what is happening so, here? Yeah. So um, the the chimbirito um has. Cachaça, uh, cachaça, mm-hmm. aguardiente, mm-hmm. guanabana, um, yuzu, and thyme syrup. It's uh, the yuzu. Yep, definitely. And what do with, we got on the edges? Uh, the salt on the side is a uh, is a blend of uh, kosher salt along with a zest of lemon, lime, orange. Mm. With uh, dehydrated and then blend into a fine powder that you see on the side. It's beautiful. Absolutely. Thank All you right, so and much. I, we'll we should say you. for our listeners who don't pay attention that Andres is talking about Columbia, the country, not Columbia, Maryland, right? <laughs> yes. Because right. they don't do this in Columbia, Maryland. That's yeah. very true. Maybe. All right. So now, mm. drum roll, please. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about DC Cocktail Week with Julia Fletcher, who's the co owner of Bow and Ivy Distillers. But first, let's talk about you. Yeah, before we get into DC Cocktail Week, because we can sum that up in about 60 seconds. Tell us about Bo Julia and Julia doesn't know how charming I am. Tell me about you, Julia. Yeah, yeah right. Um, so thank you for that. Bo and Ivy was actually founded in July of 2020. Mm-hmm. We took over the space formerly owned and operated by Joseph A. Magnus and Company in yeah. Ivy City. Was this, hey, there's a pandemic. Let's start a distillery. Um, it kind of was. I joke okay. all the time that I feel like the Elwoods Woods of distilling. You know, we're right. seen in the in Legally Blonde where she's like, oh, I got into Harvard right. Law. Is like it hard? hard? Like it's hard? Yeah. Um, which is kind of a, a disappointing thing to say to people. But um, lots of people, I think, during the pandemic reflected on what was important to them and how they wanted to spend our time, their time, and, and we were no different. Um, I grew up in West Virginia in a family business in manufacturing. Um, my mother was a community organizer and just very, very involved in the place where we lived. And so the idea of being able to do something like that and run a small business in the community and make a real thing was just incredibly appealing, and we couldn't pass up the opportunity. When you say we, who is we? So I have two other partners. Mm-hmm. Um, my husband, Michael Curcio, who just retired from the Navy after 25 years of service. Mm-hmm. Good yeah. man. And my former boss, uh, Vincent Bridgman, who is the uh, VP of National Security at Red Horse Corporation, which is a boutique defense firm. Mm. Where I worked before we did this, obviously conflict of interest. Right. I don't work there anymore. Right. So which came first, the space or the idea to make the liquor? So to a large degree, the space. Okay. Yeah. Because they had so much there. I mean, a lot of people really mourned when that company closed. Mm-hmm. So how did you decide to refill it? Um, so, I mean, again, we wanted to make it. Because they thing. were, just to back up, they were yeah. one of the first distilleries to come back to the D.C. area when the laws changed. Correct. So that was a very big deal when they opened, and it was a huge deal when they closed. So you yep. did have this amazing opportunity in front of you. Correct. But were you, had you distilled anything before? I had not distilled anything before. Well, you are an adventurous lass. Yes. My um, God. Indeed. Yes. Bold. Bold. Um, and... For us, again, it was really just this incredible opportunity to build a small business and be involved in the community. As, as veterans and as service members, all three of us are, are military veterans. Mm-hmm. Um, we say there are a lot of ways to serve. And one of the things that you see a lot of veterans do is go out and start a business because they miss being on that small, tight-knit team where you work together toward a common purpose and kind of uplift everybody. And why not serve liquor? <laughs> exactly. So how did you decide about your products? What? Sure. How did you guys decide what was important to you. Absolutely. So we actually made um, a tactical decision at the beginning that a lot of distilleries, craft distilleries have to make. Are you going to source your alcohol mm-hmm. and basically buy um, already aged spirit or are you going to try to live off your clears until your aging spirits are old enough to offer? Right. 
And we made the decision very early that we were going to do what's called running dark in the industry, which ironically is living off your clears. Okay. (laughs) So we needed to offer a lineup of clear products specifically for cocktails. So that's Um, the vodkas, the gin. Vodka, gin, and corn whiskey. Okay. uh, To bring us to bourbon, which we're super excited to offer this coming spring as two years straight bourbon. Can we back up a little bit? Yeah. So you'd never run a distillery. You'd never distilled mm-hmm. anything. They hand you the key to the place, and you walk in, and, and you just go, all right, let's get some clears going and all that. How did, who, who told you how to do all this? Yeah, where'd you mentor? Um, so we actually have a wonderful consulting master distiller who comes out and trains with us and works on recipes um, and puts us through our paces mm-hmm. uh, on the equipment. He's also available 24-7 via phone whenever we have a problem like or our a question. Vet. That's nice. Yeah. yeah. But now so. the space is not just a distillery. because Ivy, So Ivy City, for those of you who aren't familiar with the area in D.C., is sort of like Distillery Alley. Like yes. you can walk all around Ivy City and not just go to Ivy City Tavern and get their smokehouse. Delicious. Our smoke. sponsor. <laughs> right? But you can also go to like how many distilleries are there now? Like seven? I don't know that there are seven. There's uh Republic Restorative. You got Don Chicho. Don Chicho, one eight, right. And us. Okay. Green right, because Green Hat closed. Yep. Right, right, right. So sad. Um, they came on our show right when they opened, like 15 years it, ago. Yeah, well, oh well. Yeah. Anyway. Let's not mourn the dead. Let's okay. talk okay. about the living. But we, anyway. yeah, we do also have a cocktail room. We just opened a month ago. Um, again, we took our time in the pandemic to really perfect the, the product, and we mm-hmm. wanted to focus on that. Um, and we were really happy to finally open the cocktail room after kind of two years. So of, was that always part of the plan, to yes. have a tasting room? Yes. And is it a tasting room slash event space, or is it... Uh, just a place for people to taste and buy. It is a cocktail room, so we do serve cocktails. We have a, a menu of rotating kind of 10 cocktails. You can also do flights there. Mm-hmm. You can book private events there as well. Okay, so before we go to break, what are mm-hmm. we tasting first? So I wanted to pick just one thing. I'm not going to make you taste everything. And Have you not seen this show? Make okay. us. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Are you kidding? But I, I honestly, I picked the vodka of all things, and most people, and I'm I'm not normally a vodka drinker, but it is the thing my two distillers, Zach and Harrison, are most proud of because it is, it is the hardest thing for us to make. It's made 100% from corn. Okay. Um, and we make it all in-house. And what is it about the flavor that they, because a lot of people mm-hmm. think of vodka as like the throwaway spirit. Yeah. It's like the chicken right. of the spirit world. So this it is not on every the odorless, flavor. tasteless spirit you would normally expect. Um, our vodka oh, nice. still has, yeah, it has this Ooh. fruitiness on it. It's kind of gin-y. Yeah, and and there are no botanicals in this. It is 100% corn, but it does have kind of this fruity, vanilla, smooth quality mm-hmm. that I really, really love. Um, and that comes largely because our stills were, were not originally designed to make vodka. You know, when you think of distilleries that make vodka at scale, they have massive columns. Mm. And our columns are only, I guess... 16 feet high and so it's extremely difficult to That's bring a lot of vodka still. it's extremely difficult to bring the spirit to uh, 190 proof which is the required proofing for it to come off of the still it takes 31 hours okay. to do one run of vodka wow okay so, we're gonna take a quick break when we come back we're gonna talk more spirits this is david and nikki nellis booty and the beast we'll be back in just a sec all right, we're back on Foodie and the Beast. David and Nikki Nellis. We're talking to Julia Fletcher, who is a co-owner of Bow and Ivy Distillers. Um, I want to take you to DC Cocktail Week because that's a big deal for you. Obviously, driving well, actually, more traffic through the place. Is it a big deal for you? Because I don't know if people who enjoy the promotions that the Restaurant Association that Metropolitan Washington does like Cocktail Week, which is an annual event. It's always after Thanksgiving would think that a distillery would participate in it. Yeah, absolutely. It is a huge deal for us, especially Mm -hmm. because we just opened and we're trying to promote our business and our brand in D.C. The support that we're getting through D.C. Cocktail Week and the Restaurant Association has just been incredible, specifically even just introducing me to you so that I could be here today. Mm -hmm. So I'm really grateful. Wait, to me or to Nikki? To me. No, I think. Okay, whatever. Is it important? Yeah. So we're super excited um, to offer a cocktail and bite pairing during Restaurant Week, which again is November 28th to December 3rd. And what are you guys offering? So we are going to do a Dole Whip. So we're going to take our gin. Which you mean like oh. the Disney Dole Whip? Yeah. 
Absolutely. Okay. So cool. we're doing a dull whip and we're going to take our gin and we're going to coconut wash it okay. and add out pineapple juice, lemon juice, um, macadamia orgeat that we make in-house uh, and top that with some grated nutmeg. We're pairing that with a shortbread cookie with toasted macadamia and coconut, pineapple jam, and a toasted ginger marshmallow. Wow. And that now, do you guys normally do food? We typically do not. We don't have a kitchen. Okay. Um, so we have kind of small like bites, but it's pre-packaged. Oven. Yeah, mm-hmm. we do. We have olives and popcorn and cookies. Um, but this will be like a very special cookie for the event. For so the event. It's made specifically to pair with the drink, and it's a lot of fun. Like, we love that. Well, we love DC Cocktail Week. I, I think it's really important, given uh, you know all the sort of activations and programming that the Restaurant Association of Metropolitan Washington does. I think really helps elevate not just new restaurants but older restaurants as a way to sort of come together and do something fun that the dining community can get be, become a part of. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like people love to go around, see what other people are doing. It just makes it a sort of fun, festive thing to do. How do people Absolutely. know where to go? Oh, they go well, to the website. The website, dccocktailweek.com. All right. Or they go to the list com because it's all there. I mean, really. It's a shameless plug. <laughs> I know, but it's, it is what it is. All right. Please tell us where – well, let's try one more. Yeah. You're going to pour us one more before we get going? Sure. I was going to let David choose. Oh. You, but let me tell you what we have. So we do have Why, the gin. Do I have a reputation as a – we have gin. And I'm just trying to be nice. She's being nice. We oh, have gin you? and corn whiskey, but if I'm going to like heavily suggest something, this is a sample of unreleased bourbon. Yeah, do it. Okay. Yeah. All right, let's All right. do that. Shameless I've, plug. For I've our had a cold bourbon. for two weeks. That'll clear the it will. cannons. So out. this is young, right? I I listened to your show um, with Bardstown, and um, I heard them talk about how they in their fusion series they blend their new make with yeah, source. Thank you. This is all ours. All right. Um, you can mm. see it's a beautiful color, even at one year old. This looks like sound a little some, competitive there, Julia. Yeah, like some. Oh, I'm, t- I'm highly competitive. <laughs> this is um, about the color. You weren't of, a fighter pilot, were you? I was an intelligence officer. Ooh. You seem um, very intelligent. Well, okay. All right, here we go. Until I start talking. All right. <laughs> um, yeah. So it is mm. going to taste a little young. You'll get the yeast that's still there that hasn't quite aged out. Um, but oh, the, when is this going to be available? This is going to be available in the spring. This is proofed at 96. We're still not sure what the final proof is going to be okay. as we move forward. Mm-hmm. Um, but you should get baking spices, walnuts, a little bit of green apple, and some apricot jamminess mm. that I really enjoy. Nice. Well, and I do feel like now your um, spirits aren't just for the for the layperson to buy, go and drink at your place. Mm-hmm. You also are looking to put this into restaurants, right? Absolutely. We are in restaurants already. Okay, great. In D.C. and Northern Virginia, yes, and liquor stores Excellent. as well. Okay, wow. well, maybe you can talk with some of the people here I today and see if you, you can get in their restaurant. That would be amazing. Um, um, thank you so much for joining us today. Tell everybody where they can find Bo and Ivy on Instagram, please. Yes, at BoandIvy.com. Excellent. Well, at Bo and Ivy. At Bo and Ivy. BoandIvy.com. At least yeah. you didn't say www. And don't forget, no, uh, DC Cocktail Week, DCCocktailWeek.com. Or, of course, you can go to the list, com to find everything about all the promotions happening around the city right after Thanksgiving. All right. So, guys. Gentlemen. Gentlemen. Who's going to talk? Oscar? All right. Hello. This is some Mayan. What do we got going? We just shizzle. saw uh, well, Wakanda we, last yeah, night. Yeah, we saw Wakanda That's what forever. this feels like. That's without any spoilers. <laughs> yes. But so if you call me and give me a buck, is, I'll tell you. Uh, this is our Don't Give Papaya. This is sort of an homage to the Amazonia as it plays a huge part of We Colombian have to tell culture. people about this holder first. Well, the yeah, drink comes we, in a, in a, a carved... Jaguar. Bust of a jaguar and a, this is a what is this an alligator? Alligator, it's yeah. It's beautiful. So oh, damn, they, those Boy, are or those are hand painted heads from the Carnaval de Barranquilla in Colombia and brought oh, back from Colombia to help us uh, remember the culture and the festival. It's beautiful. Wow. So, can you talk about the cocktail program and how you guys go about putting it together and how often you change your cocktails and what it's like? So we like to change our cocktails, like we change our food. We mm-hmm. uh, want to always uh, be in the creative spirit and come up with new cocktails, new fun ways for our guests to interact with the with the culture and not just the food aspect, but also the uh, cocktail aspect. Uh, there's a multi-step sort of uh, kind of program we go through. We come up with some new ideas. Sometimes we get feedback from uh, the, uh, the chefs or... Our GM about mm-hmm. you know some uh, sort of aspect or saying that we can incorporate into our cocktails mm-hmm. that we can sort of riff, riff off of. 
Well, because I think that what's really important for people to understand is um, the experience, since we've done the tasting menu there, it's highly... um, it's artistic. It's very artistic. It's, it's a like, little, a lot of trompe It's like participatory art food. Yes. You know, um, you do a lot of molecular gastronomy there, um, and you employ a lot of sort of fun tactics. You know, I mentioned the hand washing of the cho- with the chocolate. There's all these sort of fun, interesting, participatory things for the guests to enjoy. And how does that relate to the cocktails you're making? So um, we have a lot of, like, for example, in our bar experience, we have a lot of pairings. So we start with... Uh, we started like, for example, our tree of life is what pairs this cocktail, the Don't Give Papaya. And the so tree we, of life is really fabulous. I know exactly what you're talking yeah. about. It's okay. one of my favorites, absolutely. Right. Right. And so that one uh, is That's a the tree, bread, right? Oh, the bread is so tree. fabulous. And so, so good. Yeah. it reminds us of the Amazonia. And so this cocktail also helps to reinforce that kind of topic. And so we're balancing flavors, we're complementing flavors, and also complementing sort of themes with. Well, it. how often does the menu change? There's certain standards, like the the washing your hands with chocolate, which. I thought was a trip. I haven't done that since I was four, um, <laughs> which was just last year. Um, uh, but no, seriously, I, I mean, because you've got to keep the cocktails kind of current, and for, for the repeat business, it can't always be the same menu. So how do you change it when the menu changes? Well, we just sort of, uh, you know, decide, you know, let's try out this new idea, and then we work on it, and then whenever, you know, that kind of idea uh, fully matures, then we, you know, we launch it. it. We just... Mm-hmm. You know, we want to constantly have new ideas coming in, so we constantly sort of change the menu. Yeah, I mean, our we didn't really address this drink. This drink is terrific. <laughs> okay. So our drink here is made with uh, rum, mezcal, papaya, mango, mandarin, and tomate de arbor. Mm-hmm. So we have various different What fruits. is tomate de arbor? It's tree tomato. So it's sort well, of— That's what it says in, in Spanish, but I mean, <laughs> yeah. tree tomato? Yeah, it's a very, like, citrusy kind of fruit that, cool. you know— it's, a lot of people here haven't had it, so you know you kind of have to try it. It's a very good drink. Really... All the drinks are delicious. All right. All right. We're going to come back to you. We're going to come back to you, but now we're going to talk about Nikki's favorite subject, and that is baking. It is. I love to bake. All right. Um, can I do? You, yeah, you can go inter- ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. Introduce. I mean, Alexandra uh, Crapanzano is, is well known to anybody who is into baking and into cooking. Uh, she has a new cookbook out called Gateau, The Surprising Simplicity of French cakes, and of course that's where you lost me because I wouldn't consider any of this simple. Um, Alexander, let's let's talk about you. You're a James Beard Award-winning cookbook author, so you didn't just suddenly sit down and write this book and, boy, you're a star. Now, give us a little 411 on you. Oh, my goodness. So I moved to Paris when I was 10 years old, and I completely fell in love with food. I mean, I think I was already in love with my, you know, with food. My mother was a great, great cook, and uh, and we spent uh, we spent most summers in Europe, but you know, ten years old, arriving from New York and Paris, the city was much safer. I'm seeing a, a movie, actually. I know, I know. <laughs> I got a, I got a, I always had a breed of of dogs called Bouvier. Mm-hmm. Bouvier we France. know what Bouviers are. Yes. Yeah, and so I, I, we got one in Normandy, 125 pounds, and I used to take him for these long walks in the afternoon, and we would go into pretty much every patisserie in the neighborhood and they would give him a cookie and I would get something. And, and how could I, how could I not, you know, love food for the rest of my life, but, but really jump um, way ahead. I went to graduate school in film directing and my money job uh, in graduate school was producing for Martha Stewart. So I learned a huge amount mm-hmm. from, from her. I feel her like kitchen. we could do a six degrees of separation of all the people yeah. that we've talked to over the last 14 years who have come out of, the Martha Stewart universe. It's amazing. Very well-trained people. Yes. <laughs> I would yes. Say. Exactly. And, uh, but I was, but anyway, I went and I, I was a screenwriter and when there was a writer's guild strike. Say I what? Back that up. Screenwriter. You're working for Martha Stewart and then you became a screenwriter? Well, I was in film school and so yeah. I was, so I was producing for Martha to, to basically pay the rent. Mm, good way of doing it. Wow. It was good. Way, right. So that mm-hmm. was fun. And then, um, you know, jump ahead in 2007, uh, our son is born and there's a Writers Guild strike and suddenly I cannot work in Hollywood. Um, And I sent in an article about, actually about France and food to the New York Times Magazine and uh, they published it and, and 
Voila. And rest Voila. Yes. Voila. <laughs> do and then we started. But so, you know, one of the things you say in your book, I mean, I told you before we got on air, what um, I loved about the book was talking about the simplicity of French cakes that in Paris, you know, most people do bake that it's, yes. you know, that there is a way of eating in France and Italy to a certain extent. That is just sort of the ease of eating, whether it's entertaining or not. There is a flow to the meal that always ends with a little something. It doesn't have to be a huge ordeal. And I don't think here in the States that is thought that way. I think we think, oh, if we go out to dinner, if we go to a restaurant, we get dessert. But if we're home, you know, not I, I think there are people who bake, but it's it's just not a part of the simplicity of it. It's it's a chore, more of a chore to do. And I'm, or a special occasion. Yeah. Or it's special occasion, right? Like, and as a baker, I mean, I do love to bake, but like all my kids have left the house. So I don't really, I don't keep it in the house because I don't want them eating it, but um, you know, but I do miss it and I love it. And when we do entertain, I do love doing it, but I have totally changed my way of baking in that I am so much simpler than I used to be. I want it to be easy. I don't, I don't want to fuss. So how did Gateau come about? How did the book come about for you? So, you know, after years of, of writing a pastry column, I mean, a dessert column, you know, it never occurred to me in all of those years that the kind of the cakes that I've always made, mm-hmm. the kind of basic French cakes actually deserved a book, you know, in a, in a way that when you make something all the time, you don't really think, okay, I'm going to write about this. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all the other stuff. And, um, and during the pandemic, I, you know, I started, I started to bake and I thought, you know what, I'm going to do just a little 70 page book about, you know, I'll perfect cake every day. And then the pandemic went on and on and on. And the bigger, the book got bigger. Also, there was more recipes. (laughs) (laughs) I know there are a lot of recipes now. Um, And then it occurred to me kind of in that period that there really has never been a look in a book at what the French bake at home. And the French are in fact, incredibly frugal. They're really practical. Mm -hmm. And And they do really like a little something sweet every day. Okay, so we have to take a quick break. But when we come back, I want to get into the Gateau Breton because that's my favorite. Um, And we'll be back in just a sec. This is David and Nikki Nellis, Foodie and the Beast. All right, we're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. We are pleased and honored to be talking to Alexandra Crepanzano, who is the dessert columnist for the Wall Street Journal and has written a great new book. I only have one thing to add to the to the thing because you know we both had our experiences in Europe and all that I think for whatever reason one of the things that that sort of helped you along is Europeans really relish eating they relish what they eat and they're they they think about the ingredients and all that and I get you know I think here we just want to get it in our mouths and move along I think you don't see fast food there could speak for yourself you don't see fast food there the way it is is omnipresent here and not at all and and um, Do you have a question? No, I'm just saying that's why I am really actually delving deeper into your point, dear. <laughs> but so, and and I think you know, looking at at the kinds of desserts that are featured in this book, many people, not the people who really like to dig in and you know deal with ingredients, will go, oh, God, there's no way I could do that. When I saw the, you know, the title and all that, I said, there's nothing simple about French cakes. That's but bold. I'm going to pull up a phrase that I'm going to take it right from your book. You see, the French master the classics. And I think when you say that, you're not talking about French chefs. You're talking about French French people, people, right? Absolutely. I'm talking about French people. So, I mean, these recipes are really so easy. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's, you know, in maternelle, which is kindergarten in France, you learn how to make a simple yogurt cake. And you can kind of make that for the rest of your life. You need a bowl and a whisk and a, you know, and and a little cake tin. And that's pretty much it. And, and I think that, you know, what I found about the French, and I find this with their savory cooking, too, is that they really do go for the tried and true recipes, which they call ahatab, which means basically foolproof. Mm-hmm. And then they just then they get to play on them. They have the confidence of knowing what they're doing and being able to do it almost, you know, blindfolded. And then they can maybe they'll add some yuzu or maybe they'll add this is a very boozy book, I will say. Um, it is a boozy book. It was the pandemic. Right. So, you know, it kind of goes hand in hand. <laughs> I even managed to get some bourbon in there, which is not particularly French, but uh, but they will they will really riff on very very simple recipes, and and that means that essentially every night, their their dessert might taste quite different, but they're but they're very often kind of 
pulling from a recipe that, mm-hmm. that has even been around since the Middle Ages, you know? Well, so let's talk about the Gâteau Breton. Um, I'm a huge fan of that. I've, I've never, until I saw your recipe, made my own. There is a patisserie here in D.C. called Patisserie Poupon, and they literally have stacks and stacks of discs wrapped in cellophane of their Gâteau Breton. As I explained to you earlier, it is like a marriage, the perfect marriage between a pound cake and a shortbread. It is everything. It is so yummy. You could top it with jam. You could top it with whipped cream. You could serve it alone. It is it is heaven. I should add that when she buys it, none of it ever makes it home. I mean, it just, I mean, it's so <laughs> yummy. Well, that's, that's the crazy thing is it's supposed to last all week. It's one of those cakes that's supposed to get better and better and better. Mm. And as I was testing, you know, I'd have to make it and, you know, it would inevitably be eaten up within a day or two. And I'd be like, wait a second, I've got to put it aside. It works after seven days, people. So Um, what is it that makes a great gâteau breton? What is the priority in making it so delicious? For that particular cake, you really do want a European butter. Mm -hmm. And it just makes all the difference. So European butters just have a higher fat content. But what that also means is that they have less water. Mm-hmm. And and so you're getting you're getting a real purity of of that, that butter taste, and um, you know it couldn't be a simpler recipe. I also include an almond one, a variation with some almond flour, which mm-hmm. has a little bit more of a of a you know a t- slightly different texture. Mm-hmm. But it it really is the essence of a butter cake. And Brittany has the most incredible butter in the world. Uh, so does Normandy. I mean, when you go into a cheese shop to get your butter in in Brittany or Normandy, you know, you don't just pick out a little piece of cheese, a little, you know, block of, of butter. They will actually have these incredible vats of hand churned butter, and each one will be a little bit different. And they'll say, what are you making today? And you'll say, you know, I'm making a gâteau breton, and they'll say, try this butter, and it'll be a, a very Almost high- like a cheese, but, right? But I love the, that. One of the points you make in the book um, that I'm aware of mm-hmm. is that the French use a lot less sugar than we do. They get their flavors from the other ingredients. They don't try and just sugar you up to say, oh, my God, this is so sweet and, you know, that sort of thing. Why is that? I mean, are we lazy? Yes. No, no. I think they really want the essence of their flavors to shine through. So, you know, I always talk about flavors as though you're you're reading a flavor. Right. So when you when you take a bite. Of a, of a big frosted American cake, that first sensation is sugar, mm-hmm. and we all love sugar. But when you take a bite of a French cake, your first sensation is usually whatever their, the cake is. So The complexity. Hazelnut, it's hazelnut. Mm-hmm. If, it's, if it's dark chocolate, it's dark chocolate. If it's orange, it's orange. And they're really looking for that, you know, they're looking to showcase that flavor. And so the result is actually these are, yes, there's a lot of butter. There's a lot of creme fraiche. There's, there's all that good stuff. But they are healthier. They're not overly sweet. These well, are, these I think are- those things are, I think of them as rich. They add yes. a, a, a layered richness. Sugar, to me, can just mask things, which yes. is kind of what it's supposed that to was do. My point. Right? I know it was. I, I made uh, that I was point. Just, I was making it simpler for you. Oh, thank you so much. Um, so just quickly, before we wrap up with you, what to you, aside from the Gâteau Breton, what are some of the other recipes in here that you would really sort of guide Where would you send us, like, somebody just starting out? Like him. <laughs> oh, I would absolutely, I would start in the beginning of the book, not just with a yogurt cake, but with a, with a cake that they call a four-fourths cake, yep. which is really similar to our pound cake. Mm-hmm. The genius of it is that because you're actually, you're using melted butter, you don't need to leave butter out to come to room temperature, which is always great. Mm-hmm. But uh, but you cannot get a tough cake. You, you literally, you are, you are using melted butter. You're pouring that over the fat before you're adding the egg whites. Egg whites have water, water plus flour equals gluten, which equals a tough cake. So it is, it's a genius recipe because- And then you, you list know, every single, stirring. and you list every single variation known to man to do with it. I do. I list around. Somebody told me 52 variations and I keep thinking of new ones because, you know, I got some chai honey the other day and I thought, oh, wow, you could just do this with chai too. It's so great. Hey, so thank you so much for joining us this morning. Tell us, please, where we can find you uh, online and on Instagram and find out more about the book. I am absolutely. I am. I am Instagram on with my own name, which is very long. Uh, at A L E K S A N D R A C R A P A N Z A N O, just slightly crazy. Um, and uh, and yes, I do have a website, and am- great Amazon reviews are super helpful. Mm-hmm. And I will maybe branch into TikTok at some point really soon. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I don't want to go there either. So, you better hurry uh, up and get on Twitter. It's going to go away. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you. Great chatting. Oh, right. my pleasure.
Well, okay, I, back to our cocktail. Orlando and Andre. I think Orlando. I think I called you Oscar, Ooh, and of course wait. he's your your twin brother, uh, and Andres. Um, can we can we just talk a little bit about the washing the hands with the chocolate thing? Do we have two seconds? Okay, can we do on, that? Hold on, hold on. Where did that come from? That is the coolest idea. So, I mean, so um, our our. Well, let me just start. This is a this is a a, a tasting menu you get, and one of the courses they bring you warm, liquid, beautiful. Tasty chocolate. Colombian, co- you, Colombian you, chocolate. And not Colombian, Maryland. Colombian Columbia, chocolate. Maryland. You wash your hands with it, and then you're supposed to just dry your hands. I licked my fingers and got yelled at, but that's me. <laughs> no, so you are supposed to lick your fingers. We actually well, encourage, we encourage uh, licking your fingers, no problem. And then you uh, you uh, wash your hands with nice But where did that come it, from? It came from um, our, our main chef, Juan, Juan Manuel Barrientos. He, um, he was thinking about his childhood. And how he wanted everyone to feel like go back to like uh, when they were young and they had chocolate over their face, and you know they would lick the, uh, the finger, the fingers, and the bowl, and, and the... the bowl exactly. So just like uh, the gâteau, the cakes that we're making, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So it's all it's all about nostalgia and feeling feeling you know in those times when there was not a care in the world and there was no responsibilities and just you know having that that. It's kind of so fun. much fun when Nikki told me that that was one of the. Features of the meal. It was a hard we sell to there. him initially, and I was like, "I'm not doing that." Yeah. I'm not doing, and the minute it came in, you know, it was it dropped in front of me. Yep. I was lapping at it like a dog. Okay, let's talk about this cocktail because it changes colors. So yes, so this is our buricornio. Mm-hmm. It is. Uh, you missed the color changing. Part. <laughs> oh, thanks a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's our buricornio. It is uh, gin, uh, butterfly pea flower tea, mm. uh, lavender syrup, uh, and then on the side, <clears throat> excuse me, on the side, it's a uh, champagne. Uh, lemon and a special little something we like to put in there to give a little sparkle. Now, does this That's pair like a with, morning cocktail? Does this pair with something specific on the menu, or it's just so it, this? It's not paired with anything. Um, it's it was inspired through the movie Encanto mm-hmm. um, when the when the donkeys became unicorns, so right. burros to unicornios, unicornio. <laughs> it was really cool, but yeah, it's, it's let just, me just say Wakanda forever. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's, it was, it was a, a full inspiration. Like we, we take it from everywhere, uh, Colombia, not only, uh, you know, gastronomy, but also movies and music and, and sayings have, half our cocktails are, are sayings, like the names of, of our cocktails are sayings. So that's really, really cool. Gotcha. Yep. All right. Um, well, this is delicious. Thank uh, so we're going to move on. Our next guest, I have to, I guess the preamble for introducing him is that he's, he's a chef and he's a terrific chef, but he is an artist. You are. Look at that, Chef Norbert. Chef Norbert Rush is uh, the executive chef at the Seneca. It's an assisted living and memory care community in Rockville. They got a salon, a wellness center, four restaurants. They got a lot. I mean, if you're going to retire somewhere, this is where to go. But he has a special take on addressing the, the, the not just the dietary needs, but the dining pleasure needs of of the residents there and uh, and we're going to talk about it now. Chef, welcome to the show. Hi, Chef. Why don't Thank you, you tell a little you bit for, about how you, you got here? Me. So we are a watermark uh, Silverstone community in Rockville, Maryland, and uh, we are a little bit over a year old now. So one of the things that when people say why as a chef go into retirement community, it really goes about respect and dignity, something that we feel nowadays is all falling away on the side. Mm-hmm. So um, what I brought today is really something that is more designated for our memory care. We call it the gardens. It's an area where some of, your resi- uh, some of your family members may find a home, a future home. You know, when they, um, dementia, I mean, Alzheimer's, even if somebody has Parkinson's disease, this type of cuisine that I'm explaining here is really what is giving you that respect and dignity still. Well, so what is it about the cuisine that you're putting together for people who suffer from these ailments? So the one that I brought that is really a little bit different is a deconstructed key lime pie. And I actually put it in a little white uh, chocolate shell that actually looks like a key lime. He so does. I'm gonna have That's you guys try that. So much fun. Um, I ate one already. It's so great. all the all the items are, <laughs> you know, when you can't use your silverware and you gotta use your hand, mm. that you still have the 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 flavor 
what is extremely important in this type of setting is that every taste should trigger a emotional connection that you had in your life. Mm-hmm. Maybe when you walked with your kids and picked lime. Maybe when you, you know, you want to have Thanksgiving the same textures and the same flavors. So the little pow- the little uh, bite-size Thanksgiving in a pouch really is that it has the stuffing, the mashed potato, the vegetable, the turkey, but then you pick it up with your hand and you dip it in the same homemade gravy that your family is sharing. You can still put in the cranberry sauce the way you like it with mm-hmm. jelly or the whole berries, you know. Um, but I think the one that is one of my favorite, and it's something that you can have in any high-end reception, is really a chef salad on a bite. Mm-hmm. And when you look at it, it almost looks like a little ball. But it's, you know, it has everything. It has turkey, ham, it has Swiss cheese, it has Gouda cheese uh, or cheddar cheese, and some eggs, and then you just dip it in your ranch dressing. You have an entire so chef cool. salad in one bite. I love that. All you right, know. we have to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about how you sort of came up with this okay. and uh, sort of the reasonings behind it. This is David and Nikki Nellis, Foodie and the Beast. We'll be back in just a sec. All right, we're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. Uh, chef Norbert has treated us to some of the foods that, uh, some of the meals, dishes that are served to folks at the Seneca uh, fortunately, we have a verifiable senior citizen in here who can tell you that is also true that this is delicious. So, Chef, <laughs> I, I, I have a lot of questions about why somebody of your stature and your resume joins a facility like this, and then, you know, provides. Was it you sort of saying to them, "This is what we should be doing"? Was it a? Um, did you collaborate with people to come up with how to serve? your clientele? Because I think a lot of people think when when they think of what's going to happen to them when they get older, it's just going to be institutionalized food, that it's not going to, it's going to take away the pleasure of eating. And you are not doing that. So how did that all come to be? I think for me uh, personally, it was more of a life change or lifestyle change altogether. Mm-hmm. But I think as one of our guests already said, I think when you get to a certain point, you want to give back. You want to serve. You want to create something that makes meaning. You know, when you are in the restaurant, the, the food leaves the kitchen and that's it. Mm-hmm. I see my guests every single day. Mm-hmm. You know, so I see when they celebrate their 102nd birthday. Mm-hmm. I am there when they, you know, celebrate their grandkids' basketball winning game. Um, you know, we trying to be in in a family environment the resident know each member, each staff. You know, we all work together. We see each other. When I come in the morning, most mm-hmm. of them, I'm usually there before everybody else. But when I see them in the dining room, I say good morning, family, because mm-hmm. that's what we do. But, you I know, s- you worked at Michelin-starred restaurants, and, you know, and a lot of chefs, no names here, but a lot of chefs are so focused on, like, making the all-star team, you know, the all-star selection, that they would... I probably wouldn't occur to them to do this. I mean, this is really more a labor of of love, it sounds like, than anything else because you're really, I mean, candidly, without be, trying to be funny, I'm not. You'd say, well, if this person has dementia, he or she is not going to remember what the hell they ate, you know, five minutes from now. I think the one thing, and before I say it, I even got goosebumps, um, is, you know, when you have a family member that visits a, another family member in memory care and turns to you and says, today my mom remembered me, Mm -hmm. it's priceless. It has absolutely nothing to do with being a chef. It has nothing to do with, you know, creating something great. Mm -hmm. It has to be that you are a human being and you're giving back to somebody else. I love that. That's beautiful. Plus, but plus you take the time to, to create, am I saying it right? Trump Loy, right? I mean, you're, you're, you're creating art while you're doing all this. So. I think that's, you know, growing up in, in Europe, you know, and, and um, you know, being a cook, it was a trade. So you sign up with the trade and then you go back and I made my master's. So I've been cooking for many, many decades now. But, you know, the trade, you know, you don't want to go back and saying, oh, because you can buy it now, I don't have to make it anymore, mm-hmm. you know. If I want to do smoked seafood, then I smoke it myself. If I, I'm not opening a Ziploc bag that I can find at a local grocery store, you know, 
when I can get a resident a golden flesh watermelon and a 98-year-old said, never had anything in my life like this before. That's mm-hmm. great. Or when a 93-year-old lady says, Norbert, the last time I had shaved ice, I was four years old. Right. You know, I think those are the items where we all look back and saying, you know, it's not like that you just park your, your dad or your mom in a retirement home. You actually want them to be cared for and get the same attention that they gave you all their lives. And I think that's really what we're trying to do. Which I appreciate, but I, from a more um, selfish standpoint, I want that for myself. I mean, I recognize that at some point I'm going to be older and I've spent my entire life in food and loving food and, and enjoying it as a part of my life. And I don't, I don't want to get to the end and not have that care there either. I think as a... As a, uh, an adult, either looking, having a family member that is in a retirement community or planning to look ahead when they're going to go, you know, um, a lot of things will change when, when we all retire. You know, right now when I walk some of our floors where residents like to live, you know, some of them have pictures of sailing boats. Some of them have Dean Martin. Mm-hmm. Who's going to be on the picture when you retire? Harry Styles. You know, so <laughs> exactly. So, you know, and then, Lola Bridget, sorry. And, and then who do you what food do you want to have? You know, I have family members come to me and say, I really would like my mom to have avocado toast. But as soon as the daughter leaves, the mom says, no, I want French toast. Mm. Right. You know, so we want to give that respect and dignity continually to our resident until it gets to a point where a doctor says it's not good for them anymore. So let's talk about your small bites. How did you come up with some of these? Did you work with nutritionists? I mean, how much how much do you have to do to so execute these? So ultimately, as a as a chef, when you look into it, it really is you go with the basic uh, recipe of the dish that you're trying to do, and then you look at the different techniques that you can pull out of your portfolio, and then you gotta make it easy enough for somebody to pick up. So, for example, when you look at what I did with this beautiful butternut squash, I cut it with a um, a riddled knife. So when you it's look like at it, fry. it looks like a French fry. So even somebody that doesn't remember what they had yesterday, you know, they mm-hmm. may remember that it's easy to be picked up. They can dip it nicely. It's nutritious. It's healthy. So unless you stay away with it, you know, and again, I look in the mirror in the morning. I don't do a lot of carbohydrates. I don't do, you know, some of the things that are really not good for a certain age group nowadays. Mm-hmm. And that's what I need to look in for. So you're not for partaking residents. in all the drinks this morning? Is that what you're telling me, Chef? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> so, but, you know, the, the item that I'm really stressing, though, is that, yes, those dishes are easy to be picked up, but when you have somebody in, in a setting of a memory care unit, it's really that that dish that it just had triggers something, an emotional connection. And mm-hmm. that's with like the Thanksgiving pouch. Or when the grandson sits next to it with a filet and mashed potato, mm-hmm. grandpa can pick up that filet and sweet potato and eat it. cupcake, dip it in the gravy and eat it the it's same so, way. With I, it's, I, it's so it's smart. Brilliant. It's because <laughs> I don't think a lot of people who aren't dealing with others who are suffering from whatever malady, uh, why can't I say the word? Maladies. Thank you, malady that it is. That eating with your hands is so important, that using a a tool, a fork, a spoon is so difficult to use. I mean, because I was just going to say, the inventive genius, Mm -hmm. truly, of being able to get an entire Thanksgiving meal into what is like a a, a, a pie is knockout. Where can we find out more about you, what you're doing? When can we come and eat? No, Um, you're eating now. Seneca, we are just in Rockville. We are uh, actually very exciting for our communities. We open a new one. Uh, we started construction in Tyson's Corner. We started mm-hmm. construction in Reston. We break ground in Bethesda. So we have quite a few more of those communities coming online. Great. Thank you so much. This, this is great. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Um, okay, guys. Thank you so much. Uh, clearly, we did not label you correctly in the beginning of the show. Do you want to tell us who's what and what's who? So my name is Orlando Gaigios. I'm the bar manager at El Cielo, Washington, D.C., as well as Miami location. Okay. And here is our... Andres. Uh, so my name is Andres Carrasco. I'm the lead bartender and uh, 
in the Washington, D.C. Excellent. Okay, so can we just talk about sort of the flash and dash of all your cocktails? Because they're all very, um, there's a lot of work involved. It seems like there's a lot of table side uh, participation in it. So how many of the cocktails, like, include that kind of stuff? Can you just go in and be like, hey, I want to, well, I guess a gin and tonic isn't easy either because that's a big drink too. So how do you guys, like, have the staff to affect all the sort of flash and dash with your cocktails? Well, it's not easy, but we uh, we don't have that many um, seating, so we're able to have uh, at least somebody be there with the customer for mm-hmm. every plate, every drink. So we're able to do that. But it, it really just comes down to, you know, uh, we want to have that interaction, so at any cost. We'll... So, so do you need a reservation to get drinks? Uh, currently, for the... a while, the bar you could go up to. Yes. We have a bar experience, and that takes precedence, so... Uh, Usually on weekends we might be booked up, so we recommend reservations for, for the, bar. the bar. So when okay. we were there, and I, I will tell you, normally I can't sit still long enough to do it. It was two and a half hours of pure pleasure. But you did two seatings a night. Is that how it works? Uh, weekends we do uh, Friday and Saturday. We have some uh, seatings at uh, different times so that everyone's staggered. Staggered, Got yes. But, at the uh, bar? Uh, no, uh, tables. The bar tables. Is kind of, um, we have a staggered seating. So if I make a reservation at the bar, Mm -hmm. is it for an experience or just to have some cocktails? A bar experience. We have a smaller tasting menu just for the bar. Okay. You get four cocktails. So you get to experience some of the bar and some of the table. Okay, great. All right. Can you tell everybody, please, where we can find you? Oh, wait. Tell us what you made last. Quickly. So we have our anniversary cocktail. This is also inspired by a saying saying we drink everything, including the vase water. Mm -hmm. So for this cocktail, we wanted the this bouquet to be sitting at the table and at the end of the evening uh, the waiter comes and tells you you know your last plate has been on the table did you the give this time. bouquet to my wife are you coming <laughs> on to my wife right in front of me okay. we love dead to... man dead man all right we love anyway. to give everybody a little memento of the experience that they had well it's fabulous it's we want to thank and, you guys and we so had much. a great meal there it was okay glad you guys all right. Do you want to say anything before we wrap I want to up? Say we got two minutes. Two things. Number one, every week I remind everybody you can see the kind of progress that the Ukrainian army is making. There are still millions of refugees. They still need, along with arms and everything else, they just need money so that Jose's uh, World Central Kitchen can feed them, et cetera, et cetera. So give to some good charity, the Red Cross, World Central Kitchen, something else. And the last thing I want to say is. Go Democrats. Okay. Now I'm done. All right. Uh, we want to thank all of our guests for coming in studio today. Great food, great discussion, amazing cocktails, and amazing uh, spirits. Uh, of course, we also learned about French uh, gâteaux as well, which was amazing. Uh, just a couple of uh, notes out there. Everything you heard today you can find on the thelistareyouwantit.com, the online e-zine that tells you about everything happening in the D.C. metro area. You can now hear me every Tuesday on Industry Night, now done with the new sponsor, Wine Lair, the uh, private wine bar next to the Ritz-Carlton in Washington, D.C. Um, follow me at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S on Instagram, Facebook, and at the moment, Twitter. Not sure how long that's going to last. And just a reminder out there, uh, please take your kindness pills before you dine out. Staff shortaging is staff shortages, excuse me, are real. It is still a problem. No restaurant wants you to have a bad experience. Everybody wants you to have a good time. I don't know what's going to happen with Initiative 82. We'll figure that out along with you. Be safe out there and have a delicious week. <laughs>